back with the Cosmic Crossfire. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all our shows. But it wouldn't be a Cosmic Crossfire without the man back from Disney. You got to check out everything going on today at his site, robmccallumfilms.com, which gives you the latest and greatest on what's going on in his world when it comes to all of his films, all of his documentaries, all of his projects coming up, and so much more, including Box Art, the docuseries, the Kitty biography, Missing Mom, Nintendo Quest, Power Grayskull that's now available on Netflix, and so, so, so much more. It is my good friend. It is the storyboard master himself, Rob McCallum. It's funny you say that, Gerald. There is another Rob McCallum in this world who lives in Toronto, not too far from where I am, and he does storyboards for a living. And often we will get people messaging us, those known as Rob McCallum, looking to talk to the other person. And I have a couple of mutual friends with this guy, and he's done work on films like Resident Evil and Star Trek Discovery, I believe, and a lot of the stuff that shoots up in Toronto. So I am not the storyboard master, but I do like to make movies. There you go. There you go. Well, great to see you, my friend, once again. Been a long time. A lot of projects. I did a symposium down in Orlando. was taking care of that. And, of course, you had to stop by the great place known as Disney World along the way. Mm-hmm. It's true. Uh, always part of the machine, so I uh, had to do it. I mean, hey, we talk about Disney enough, and today's episode is not going to be any exception to that because they have a ton of stuff going on with possibly uh, you know, being the world's biggest entertainment conglomerate. They, they kind of have a weekly spot on our, on our show, if you will, so it's always nice to include them and go down there and then kind of see what they're, they're doing in the theme park. You were doing some research for our show there. Oh, more than just research. I mean, uh, I will say that I did get to see the cool model, the scale model for Galaxy's Edge, which is really nice. I got to see that, and I got to see all the different concept art and all the different videos that they were showing off for that new Star Wars land. And uh, I saw where it's going to connect to Hollywood Studios as well. They have a nice big picture there, and people are taking uh, you know their own little selfies in front of it. And I hope, uh, you know, if I go back in, you know, two or three years with the fam to have another picture taken in front of it so you can see the fam kind of grow up in the same spot. I saw the layout, how it's setting up when I was at Disneyland in October. And I'll tell you what right now, I'm so excited for it, not only on Disneyland, but when I hopefully someday get to go back to Disney World itself on the on the East Coast and get to check it out as well, because I know it's going to be even larger than what you see at Disneyland. Yeah, and the nice thing about it at Disney World is it's really going to make Hollywood Studios much more of an attraction in terms of what you do at each of the four parks. Animal Kingdom just got Pandora and the, the world of Avatar, so that's a nice little expansion for them to make a trip there a little bit more uh, fulfilling, I guess you could say, because before it was really just the safari as the heart of it. Epcot's got a lot of stuff going on, especially with the World Showcase. It could use a few more things, I think. Magic Kingdom is the Magic Kingdom. And Hollywood Studios has been lacking a bit for a year. They have Pixar Land, which just opened up, which was really cool to see for the first time. Of course, Star Tours has been has been like the staple there for a while, but now adding Galaxy's Edge, I think it really makes it a bona fide experience. And it's nice to see it separate from the Magic Kingdom so you don't get all that kind of foot traffic in one spot. Because when I was there, it was part of Hollywood Land, and it was just kind of wedged in there into the side and the corner and then they would have some presentations and whatnot but it didn't seem like a an, an extended fulfilling experience but obviously now that's going to be the case with when, when star wars uh, the whole 
total experience comes in just a short bit of time. It's, you know, 2019 is just around the corner. It's true, and Disney World gets it in the fall compared to the summer of, of Disneyland. So Disneyland will have first dibs on it. I'm glad I went to Disney now. I don't. I got it out of my system, so I don't need to go back in the next year or so when Star Wars kind of unveils. I can let some of that majesty die down a bit, and then I can enjoy it with the family. So it, it'll be great to revisit that. But Rob, we're not just here to talk about Galaxy's Edge, my friend. We're here to talk about pop culture, and you're the man to talk to when it comes to that right there. So pray tell, Rob. What's in your mind when it comes to pop culture? Well, you know, every now and then I like to play these little games where you have to pick the best or the worst amongst a few options, Gerald. I think these are some of your favorite segments that we do. And we're going to start off this episode with, with one of these. This is most ridiculous. This is a kind of a recurring theme that we do on, on this show. So, Gerald, you get to pick the most ridiculous between choice A, which is GameStop Rage, which I'm sure everybody's seen out there by now that has been surfing the internet in any form or another, where somebody tried to return Fallout 76 to GameStop, didn't have a receipt or proof of purchase, didn't like the the way it kind of went down and proceeded to destroy the entire store as a result of not getting his way. That's option one. Any thoughts on that first? Thank goodness it wasn't on Black Friday. Wait for it. Wait for it. We'll see the videos. I'm sure. I know. I tell you what, it's just... It, there are rules set up for a reason. You don't know I, I mean, if that was purchased there or anywhere else, no matter how much you trash the store. And it's not, you know, that it, these businesses do have their rights as far as for, to protect themselves from someone trying to go ahead and do something nefarious. So I'm going to have to support GameStop on that one. Uh, I'm not always good supported GameStop, especially with the Circle of Life program. But uh, in this case, I will support GameStop on it. Yeah, I mean, we're living in a society. We got to have rules and code of conduct. You don't get your way, and you decide to like destroy something. It's a little much. So, settle down, my friend. Maybe you shouldn't be playing games if you can't control that kind of behavior in yourself. Maybe you should really do some deep inner looking of yourself and, and figure out what those triggers are, so that you can actually be a functional member of our society, which you know observes rules and, and ways that things happen day to day. So that's number one. GameStop rage. Number two. There's been a lot of articles recently, thanks to a podcast that uh, happened in Hollywood Reporter has an article. I think Variety has an article on it as well that talks about the billing issues. That is, who gets what kind of billing within a film uh, was the main issue, as well as contractual and financial issues, of course, for the canceled Sex in the City 3 movie. So much so as Sarah Jessica Parker and Kim Cattrall apparently have some sort of feud going on online. But it ceased production because apparently and rumored from everybody else that was on the podcast, which is the cast and key producers and writers and other production members, except for Cantrell, who said she's already said all that she ever needs to say about that production, both the series and the other films. She wanted more money. She was more of the spotlight by the end of the series versus Sarah Jessica Parker, who walked onto that series, a bona fide star and took a, a leap of or a risk kind of uh, a risky leap to go to a TV show on HBO versus continuing her movie career. So because Control apparently was not getting enough money and not getting enough billing, she pulled out and the film didn't happen. So, billing on Sex of the City 3 caused the film to cease production. Is this a ridiculous news story? Is this something that's getting way too much attention for something that's way past its prime? Probably, for your consideration, that's number two. Any thoughts on that? Well, I did see that up on Variety, and I, I, I'll tell you what, it's... 
this Sex in the City was a it was such a great force as far as people watching it. Obviously, it it helped boost. I don't want to say the early days of the HBO, but the '90s. It really just gave a, a really uh, good boost to their as far as their viewership. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. It's a pioneering show. I would put that right up there with Sopranos and their boxing. That was really one of their marquee events to watch as well. But there has been such a bitter feud between uh, Kim Cattrall, Sarah Jessica Parker, whatnot, there for so long now. It's gotten old. It's gotten tiresome. And this was their last chance to make a considerable amount of money together as a unit for Sex in the City. And it just didn't materialize. Although I don't think if it would have shown up on screens, it would have gotten that same kind of love. Because we've seen that in recent years with obviously what's going on with Murphy Brown, uh, and so many other projects that are out there as far as that you're on TV or that comes back or rebooted to film. It just doesn't, for the most part, have that same kind of love or same kind of affection if you go ahead and have that extended gap between what was then and what is now. Yeah, I just, I feel like it's it's past its course of prime for as much headline and ink that this thing is getting. It's it's a little bit much. It fell into my ridiculous category by the fact that the power and popularity has, has gone into nostalgia at this point instead of like actually being something current and mainstream. So that is number two on our options for most ridiculous this time around on the Cosmic Crossfire. Number three, Gerald, this one is near and dear to you. Very close. I can't wait. You you may already have this, and you may have chosen to pre-order this. Finally, we get to enjoy Scott Wolf and Double Dragon being released on Blu-ray. So excited. Gerald, of course, we've talked about your, your fabled history as part of the production crew on this. Is that ridiculous, or is that just staple? Is that staple entertainment? Should it not be on this list? <sighs> I don't even think it's worth our time. I mean, my gosh. <laughs> unless you want unless you want to see some early Alyssa Milano, I just don't think it's just really that worth your time. I didn't even I, I saw it flash uh, somewhere that it was coming to Blu-ray and it just really just uh, something that I'd rather uh, soon forget, but you know what? If it's on sale for $2, I might pick it up. That and Drop Zone because I believe I have a credit in Drop Zone as well, but I I don't know. I just yeah, you know, it, my memories of my days working in the industry are just they're they're not that great because the movies aren't that I worked on were not that great to be to be quite honest with you. I think Outbreak and Species are probably the most memorable movies that I can say I really enjoyed being a part of. Maybe Natural Born Killers, although that was just out there with what Oliver Stone was really trying to ask for and really trying to get when it comes to what he wanted to present on screen. Right. I've seen a lot of gamers both get excited by this and get annoyed by this because, of course, it brings up the debate, can any game actually translate to the big screen? This is certainly one of the titles that is at the bottom of the pack in terms of the IP getting made and trying to leverage you know, some sort of existing fan base. And it's a conversation that will continue to happen because, hey, this game IP stuff keeps you know getting made. we got Sonic the Hedgehog coming up, of course, so... What is the most ridiculous of those three? GameStop Rage, Double Dragon headed to Blu-ray with mixed reception? Or uh, the billing and uh, notoriety of Sex in the City 3's cancellation? 
I would say the GameStop rage only because of the fact it has a bigger issue when it comes to Fallout 76 not meeting up to the Fallout standards because a lot of feedback have, has come about because of it and it's not a lot of it that's good. I, I don't think a lot of people were very interested in seeing what was being offered because out there in the West Virginia wastelands, it doesn't seem to be very active, a very enticing world out there. Yeah, okay, it's great that they're go you're going ahead into a multiplayer-centric format, but to me it just shows a, a larger thing that Fallout 76 is, is not going to be one of the stellar titles in the Fallout series. But are you phrasing this as the game is bad that it justifies this behavior? No, it, it does not just. It doesn't even matter that. Okay, but the point of, of this list, it doesn't even matter what game. Yeah, I think. Well, I think it's most ridiculous what he did as far as his reaction. I think obviously that's the case. I'm just, I'm just throwing in a side. Can you think, that, that uh, think, and that's and that's fine. I would say that's probably the most ridiculous thing on the list as well. The others are pretty trivial and casual. Can you think of a a crazier reaction or similar reaction to any kind of game or interaction in involving video games in the past? When I ran game stores back in 2007 to 2008, <laughs> I did have someone who was very upset the day that GTA 4 was expected to come out. And unfortunately, our shipment came in a little bit late, about several hours late. So we were still waiting to get it from McCarran Airport here in Las Vegas. And we had a line of about 30 people waiting for it. And one guy was so upset, he was threatening Angry Nick, If of all people. He was, <laughs> he was threatening Angry Nick with bodily harm. And it was serious. And it got to the point where I'm almost going to call the police. And he was actually uh, very concerned for his livelihood. Angry Nick was when he, when he confided to me. And I just, you know, I had to calm the customer down and whatnot. But yeah, it almost got to that point. And I've, I did have customers that were upset because of a certain policy. We couldn't sell to them because they were too young other things like that and you know they were they were mad they were upset they would be shouting expletives but not to the extent that what we saw you know the other day at that GameStop. What I love most about this segment Gerald is we've reminded viewers of your breadth of history in your career from working on classics like Double Dragon to owning and running game stores and now you're a professional podcaster you're the real deal, man. You've, you've got this covered. It makes sense that you are where you are. The journey has led you here, where you talk about films and games and the ups and downs. Because you've seen it. You've been on the front lines. I like it. I like it a lot. Sometimes these memories are not always the ones I want to recall. I'll just have you know right now. <laughs> well, I, I get that, too. I, I get that, too. But I think I think it's nice that that managed to, to weave in that we wove your your fabric into it all. Although it was kind of funny now that I can recall seeing Angry Neck sweat some bullets out there because he looked like he was about ready to uh, wee-wee in his pants, so to speak. Oh, a little wee-wee for Angry Nini. I, I see how that goes. We'll be right back with more of the Cosmic Crossfire. Looking for an edge the next time you take on your favorite video game? Then check out Vitabrace High Performance Gamer Wristbands. Packed with the power of fruit seed oil, Vitabrace is clinically proven to help improve performance, giving you a better gaming experience. Head to MiracleFruitOil.com and use the promo code MEDIA10 to get $10 off your Vitabrace purchase. Whether you're looking to beat the time on your latest speedrun, or are fighting your way to the top on your favorite multiplayer or battle royale, Vitabrace can help you reach your gaming goals. Buy Vitabrace today at MiracleFruitOil.com 
That's MiracleFruitOil.com. Vitabrace. Win with it. Looking for an edge the next time you take on your favorite video game? Then check out Vitabrace High Performance Gamer Wristbands. Packed with the power of fruit seed oil, Vitabrace is clinically proven to help improve performance, giving you a better gaming experience. Head to MiracleFruitOil.com and use the promo code MEDIA10 to get $10 off your Vitabrace purchase. Whether you're looking to beat the time on your latest speedrun or are fighting your way to the top on your favorite multiplayer or battle royale, Vitabrace can help you reach your gaming goals. Buy Vitabrace today at MiracleFruitOil.com. That's MiracleFruitOil.com. Vitabrace. Win with it. One of the things that uh, all this ties around, you know, whether it's Wreck-It Ralph, the Dumbo trailer, the emergence of Disney in different streaming places, is the mark of Disney's service and excellence. When you go to a Disney theme park, it's like you've never been anywhere else before. I'm sure, Gerald, you know, you have a reason why you keep going back to Disneyland. You know how you're going to be treated. You know how operations are going to be run. Everything from how you park in their parking lots to how you disembark a tram, how you queue in a line, signage, information, fast passes, how all that works is down to the T and there's systems that work and there's no competition anywhere in the world when you visit one of these parks. Is it matched on the big screen, do you think? The attention to detail and the way things are run is it matched on the big screen? And why or why not? No, it hasn't because there's. I think there's too many floating parameters when it comes to what you're talking about as far as all these projects that are coming onto the screen and, and are they given the same kind of Disney love or even Paramount love or you know any of these large universal or any of these large companies. There's just too many ideas floating around. There's too many hands in the kitty. There's too many producers, too many directors having their own ideas, too many actors wanting to go ahead and acting out certain certain way. There's just too many possibilities for a movie to go one way or the other, for it to be controlled in a certain fashion. Disney tries its best to corral a certain image when it projects its movies on screen, but even then it still had some trouble as far as certain movies are concerned. I know you've loved The Last Jedi, but I know a lot of people don't love The Last Jedi, for instance. Solo, a Star Wars movie, I kind of liked it. I know a lot of people that out there maybe didn't like it or didn't even see it because of certain issues. So Disney, in its theme park setting, it's controlled. And they, whether it's edicts that have been handed down by actual Disney himself when he was alive, or they've been created and developed over the course of time, from the point that you go ahead and drive or walk onto their property, they have your attention. They have controlled exactly what they want you to do as far as and where they want you to go. And to maximize not only efficiency-wise for a large populace to go ahead to these theme parks day in day out but also for them to maximize their own profitability so it just makes sense that they're able to go ahead and control it and they i don't say they perfected it but they go ahead and continue and try and provide the best experience possible not only for them but for their consumers also i mean the other argument you could make is that disney is doing at least the best of the competition in terms of what gets on the silver screen between everything that pixar and marvel releases plus their own fare. I mean, they should always be that leading contender, just like they are in the theme park experience. Cliff Plazinski says he will never make another video game again. 
Of course, Cliffy B is uh, known uh, for Epic Games and Gears of War, Unreal Tournament, and Rune. And after, I think, a three- or four-hour argument on Twitter, he says you'll never make another video game again on Facebook. He says, I know I don't post much on here, but with recent news that came off my tweet statement, I thought I'd say some stuff. I really honestly feel over it, making games. We're in a polarized world in which we yell at each other through the glaze of glowing rectangles when we could be kind to one another in person. We're in a world where it's cooler to watch other people play one to three games than actually want to play one yourself. We're in a world where you're measured by the number of likes, subscribes, and impressions you get. We're in a world where expectations of a product are so off the charts as our marketing budgets, the game budgets are so crazy that the average consumer couldn't wrap their head around the cost of making said product. I'm honestly not bitter. I literally saw Mark Rain last night, had a hug, caught up, all good. My nephew did a Fortnite dance for him, of course. Games were good to me, however. The thought of doing it again truly doesn't appeal to me. You haven't seen the thousand-yard stares that I've gotten from other developer friends who haven't been able to retire when we have a pint and they're done with work. The non-stop dysfunction. No one knows what they're doing, and those who hit it big are just as talented as they are lucky and have good timing. Most have families, and the instability of business terrifies them. Hell, it scared me not having kids. Imagine fearing for your job and being encouraged to work 12-plus hours a day, six days a week, just to provide for your family, which is my number one job now, focusing on friends and family, including my doggy family. What do you think about that? Cliffy B retiring from games. Is this going to hold true? Is this just a passing thought or is he done forever? Well, I've been told never to say never. So I'm going to say at some point in time, he may delve back into the gaming scene, but does he really have the track record from recent past to even say that whatever he works on is going to be success? Because after he left the Gears of War series and you know the epic changeover and went over to Microsoft and all that, his magic touch just seemed to falter. Lawbreakers obviously was not very successful at all. It was a flop and unfortunately didn't pan out very well. And he's saying it didn't make him bitter, but my gosh, it sure looks like it seeing it from afar. I remember the days when I saw him at an E3 walk by at arm in arm, young lady in hand, or walking by him having the Cheshire cat grin, looking at all of us sitting on the side as he walked by. I could imagine what his thoughts would have been at that point in time. But, you know, he was living on, on cloud nine way back when at that E3 we were at. And these days, unfortunately, life changes and, and things happen. And yeah, he still can live off of his success from, from the past. But I think at some point in time, he'll get that itch once again. It's just going to take some time away from the industry. But when he does, will anyone actually care? Because his last performance was not something to crow about at all whatsoever. I think it's really hard to say that you're ever done. And I don't think it's ever wise to say that you're ever done. It's always better to say we're taking a break. We're going to let to see. We're going to see how things develop. Because why, why would you ever close the door on something that's been intrinsically who you are, even if the industry is changing? You can find another way to be a part of something, even if you don't know what that is right now, even if you're burnt out right now, things can always change. So I think it's kind of foolish of Cliff, who, by the way, is a supporter of box art. He's actually one of our producers on the series that via Kickstarter, he was he was a backer and we really appreciate his support. But I just don't understand why you'd ever say I'm done doing something, especially when he's been doing this for so long. I get that the industry has changed and isn't in touch with itself. And there's a, there's been a ton of different, you know, reported stories over the last year in particular, you know, look at Telltale, look at even Rockstar with the releasing of Red Dead Redemption 2 and, and the stuff that they had to go through in order to get that release. 
that this is just on par with all that stuff, but never, ever say never, right? Look at Sean Connery. I'll never play James Bond again. And then he's James Bond again with Octopussy. Exactly. And I love to use the professional wrestling stories and analogies from time to time. And I think Terry Funk would probably be the best analogy to say that kids, I think he's had five or six retirement matches at some point in time. Uh, and he's still actually, you know, if, if he could, I think he'd still get out there today. And I, I'm sure in the recent past, he has actually at, at 70 plus years old. So whenever someone these days says they're done, they're done, they're done. It goes in one ear, it goes out the other. Cause I actually don't believe it. I, I would actually have to see it to believe it. I agree. I agree hundred percent. The biggest question though, is what is black Friday like in Canada? Everybody wants to know uh, that's listening right now and is probably in line or doing some shopping as they go to and fro in America. What is Black Friday like in Canada? What's the forecast? Well, my American friends, let me tell you, absolutely nothing. There's absolutely nothing going on here. Despite in the recent decade or so of Black Friday trying to infiltrate everything north of the border, I've literally seen one car dealership that had signage for a lease program and some ads on Amazon.ca. So there is nothing going on here in terms of the mass hysteria that we get south of the border. And hey, whether you like it or, or don't like it, it is an event. It's a calendar event. Whether you like consumerism, whether you like the fact that people are sacrificing more and more family time on Thanksgiving to get the products that they want to celebrate family time on Christmas morning, usually, typically, that's beside the point. I think it's really strange that this is truly an American phenomenon considering Canada is so uh, influenced by American culture, it just has not permeated that border the way that you think it would. It's slowly migrating so, to the UK, though. Like other traditions of American lore, it is slowly migrating to the UK. UK is adopting it little by little, just like they have Halloween. I, I could tell you stories about people that have come up to me when I used to run Halloween stores. And I'll tell you what, they, they came up to me and told me from the UK, I'm, I'm flying in from the UK and I want to understand more about this Halloween. So they would get like a, about a three, four or $500 worth of stuff so they could take it back and start their own traditions of Halloween. I've seen it grow exponentially in Halloween. And I know Black Friday, those deals that they're having, they've also have in UK stores. They're, they're just starting to, to pick up on that type of madness. The question I have for you, Gerald, with this bigger and bigger push to digital commerce space, as we're seeing like crazy, and every year it seems to get bigger, will Cyber Monday ever topple Black Friday in sales? Or appeal, I guess, would be the other way to look at it. I don't want to ever say never because we, you know, we in recent we just conversations. Yeah, we just talked <laughs> about that. So I don't want to ever say never, but and Black Friday has such a great first start right now. So plus the fact that the whole week, you know, for many people, they have a good portion to a considerable amount to the entire week off in the Thanksgiving week. So, yes, I understand when Cyber Monday is heavily dependent on the digital type format, whereas with Black Friday, it's not only digital, but it's still going out to the brick and mortar stores. But it is becoming more and more digital reliant as well. It's almost... I won't say it's a 50-50 share as of yet, but it's getting uh, it's getting quite close. And that's something that Cyber Monday can't do because people are back to work. People are, are more involved with their lives when it comes to that next week. And they don't have the type of time to go ahead and, and devote to it as they do during the Thanksgiving week and Black Friday. So far, I mean, I think a lot of people usually take extended uh, time off because they get the Thursday. They usually take the Friday off. 
it's not a far leap to see them take the Monday off as well. Um, I think it's just going to be a really interesting thing to keep an eye on going forward because Cyber Monday now seems almost as relevant in people's minds that if they miss out on something on Black Friday, they know they got Monday to kind of make up for it. And with the you know Amazon Prime Day in July, and who knows whatever else is gonna is gonna happen in terms of digital options, I think that the digital marketplace is becoming more and more relevant and more and more interesting because of the ease of which you can put something on sale as well. But Cyber Monday traditionally has not had as many good deals as Black Friday. I'm just going to, from my investigation, my, my looking everything up, seeing the, what not, what's going on, because there's more volume still on Black Friday, retailers are still going ahead and give the primarily the majority of the best deals that they have that they're willing to put out there on the Black Friday shopping period and maybe give some secondary deals to it that they can devote to Cyber Monday. You won't see the same kind of deals for the most part on Cyber Monday that you do at Black Friday. And that has to change before it will go ahead and sway in Cyber Monday's fashion. I can agree with that. What uh, Because you're always up on these Black Friday deals. And when people are listening to the show, they're, they're probably either past the door busters or they're trying to consider what else to do with their time. What are what are the biggest or craziest deals that you've seen? And I know you've shared a lot on Facebook as you do every year leading up to it. When the flyers get leaked, you put them on. It's kind of like this hobby of yours. I've always looked at it. What are some of the craziest deals that you saw and were they underwhelming or overwhelming? They're actually better than they were last year, in my opinion, in some cases. Uh, there's still uh, probably what stands out to me most, and I'm actually going ahead and updated an article on popculturecosmos.com. And we also devoted our Monday show, the Pop Culture Cosmos, as well to Black Friday. I'd probably say the one that stands out the most to me, as far as from a gaming standpoint, is the PlayStation 4, one terabyte at 199 with Spider Man, which is a recent release, which is a very highly rated and highly thought of game. One that could one that could be seen on several top ten lists. I think that's probably the best deal going on in gaming right now. Also, you got televisions at major retailers like Walmart, Target, going as low as seventy nine dollars, and then you've got four K televisions, like a fifty five inch four K television with Roku installed. That was probably uh, that's going at one ninety nine at Target, a sixty five inch version. Uh, a 65-inch Roku 4K television that's going for 398, I believe, at Walmart. So there are a lot of choices when it comes to that, and not only when it comes to televisions and gaming, and whatnot. But people have to go look at all consumers consumer electronics. There are great deals from a lot of stores out there when it comes to cell phones, when it comes to audio technology, whether it's headphones, whether it's earbuds, whether it's Bluetooth headsets. The whole nine yards, there are substantial 40, 50, 70, $100 discounts there. People have got to look at higher end televisions. There are several hundred dollar reductions on higher end televisions. So if you want something with HDR or if you want a larger screen like a 75, 82, even on up, those have huge discounts on them. Computers, laptops are the most uh, one of the most sought after products during this Black Friday season. You're going to see several. Uh, laptops that are, you know, obviously junkier ones or or lower powered ones, I should say, going as low as ninety nine or one hundred ninety nine dollars. But there are still effective units that are being sold at a three to four hundred dollar discount that are out there that you can find. And then just there's a lot of great consumer electronics that are out there that are on a a one time only or a 
this time of the sea this time of the year type discount that you can't afford to miss and even things like playstation plus that's out there if you can get if you are interested if you have a playstation that's out there that's uh, the playstation plus is running out or even if you want to extend it right now getting at 20 dollars off which is almost half off at 39 dollars, is a steal as well that's great as long as you when you buy it you're in the u.s i have a u.s playstation account but because i'm in canada amazon won't sell it to me for 39.99 so i can't access that deal should have should have got it when you were at disney world <laughs> i just teasing. that's true <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back with more of the cosmic crossfire Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. Next up, I want to talk about something that was sent to me in the mail. Everybody that's watching the stream will get a nice shot of this. And this is the SNES Omnibus, Gerald. This is the Super Nintendo and its games, Volume 1, A through M. This was provided by author uh, Brett Weiss and his publishing company. It is a look at half of the games released for the Super Nintendo. These days, there are a ton of books out there that are just hitting every kind of nook and cranny of anything that is related to video games, whether it's the art of this whether it's looking at an entire library or part of a library like this one does. There's no shortage of content or books for gamers to, to kind of add to their collection. And Brett sent this to me uh, for review consideration so that we could talk about it on our show. We had talked about one of his books earlier on, a, on an episode, one of the early episodes of Game Source or Pop Culture Cosmos, where we looked at top 100 games that he had done from, I think, 77 to 87. And we kind of just randomly see if you guys could guess the kind of title, so to speak. This one is a little bit more straightforward. Like I said, it's games A through M. And it's kind of impressive, to be honest. There is a, a, a big kind of page space dedicated to titles like Earthbound. Again, anybody watching on the stream will see that Earthbound's getting at least two-page spread here. There are high, colorful graphics of, of box art and screenshots. There's a lot of history for the titles. There's an insider insight, and there's usually an anecdote from a player who's played the game and has some sort of memory attached to it. Of all the game books out there that you go to Amazon and type video game books, you're going to have a list. This is definitely one of the ones that impressed me more when I got it in person. It's much bigger than I thought. I'd say it's about 12 by 10 inches at least in size. It weighs a ton. There's no shortage of information. The only thing I would have liked to have seen is all the games included. But I I wouldn't even be able to lift it because this book is heavy enough as it is. I will say that Volume 2 is coming on Amazon, so you should pre-order it while you can. Definitely give this like a four out of five. It's fun to just pick up. It's a coffee table like book. You can just read through it and get surprising different answers and whatnot. So like uh, earlier before the show started, I looked at Alien 3 and the book talks about how the Super Nintendo version varied from the Genesis version with only one key difference. And that was the ending was different. So imagine that. I would have never known that had unless I would have played Alien 3 for both Genesis and Super Nintendo. But this book, you know, for just quit killing five minutes before the show started, I was able to go in there find information like that and be able to talk about it on the show. So check it out. I bring it up because I want to know what some of your favorite video game books are, Gerald. Well, I'm going to start off with one I want to read very much because it's going to be adapted into a project, I believe a movie, and that is Console Wars. 
that I think ah, Seth it's Rogen a great read. Is, is adapting. I'd love to read that one. And then you after should get that, the audio book too, because the audio book is solid. Definitely make a note of that, because I really want to go ahead and actually understand more about those days with Sega and Nintendo, because in the 90s, I wasn't keeping up to date as much as I should on the video game scene. I, I did get an N64, I did get a Commodore Amiga, but I was so busy and I was on that, not I could say too concerned with it. And but what I was still just not really just taking it all in as far as that whole Sega versus Nintendo thing. And now at, at a later age, it kind of fascinates me that era in time. And I'm eager to see how they're going to be able to portray it on screen. But yes, I will go ahead and, and actually catch the audiobook or actually read the console wars here coming up in the near future. I've done both, and I, and I will say that you can go either way with it. Blake J. Harris is an awesome author. He also did a great essay on the Masters of the Universe live action movie. He continually writes pieces all the time, and he's got a lot of great books in the works, and he teases them occasionally. Slash Film covers his stuff a lot as well. So Blake J. Harris is the author of Console Wars. Just for everybody that's listening, check it out. It's certainly a great Christmas gift for any gamer. And more relevant now than I think it would have been safe had it come out in the mid-90s because so much of that trickles down. In the interviews that he gets with Tom Kalinske, who's a former Mattel employee, has some He-Man stuff that's woven in there, of course, which is nice, and a nice little callback to Power of Grayskull. It's really interesting, and Gerald, I'm, I'm really surprised you actually haven't read it or, or, or listened to it yet. I, I can't say enough about this book. It's one of those ones I've been thinking about getting, and just it just never had the chance to go ahead and time to really go ahead and delve into it. I'd like to, uh, I really would like to go ahead and check that out. I know also I got to check out the one that Josh keeps mentioning from time to time by Jason Scherer of Kotaku. He wrote one as far as uh, recent times on the industry as well. I know I got to re- pick up that one very soon as well. From my standpoint, most of the video game books, related books I've read are more of a fiction variety. And I'd probably start off with the Mass Effects books. The first three are very good reads, especially the first one. I think the first book in the Mass Effect series is probably one of the best books I've ever read as far as any type of fiction that's concerned. I'm trying to think of some other notable ones. Art of Atari, which we cover in our upcoming series, Video Game Boxer, the stories behind the covers by author Tim Lapatino, who's a producer on our series. It just has a treasure trove of Atari images, not just the covers, but the paintings, the point of purchase stuff, magazines, articles and spreads. It, it is just chock full of stuff. It was so popular that it spun off into the posters of Atari as well, which actually has detachable posters that you can pull out of the book. As some of these iconic games from illustrators and artists like Ralph McQuarrie, by the way, who did Atari covers of all people, who is obviously best known for some of the Star Wars concept art. So that's a, a good one. Bitmap Books has a ton of video game options in terms of what the reader can see, whether it's just straight up ad work or artwork. They have stuff there. They have stuff that goes into the history of stuff. That's definitely a company to check out. And Read Only Memory has a great, I don't know if they call it an omnibus or a collected works, but they have one for Genesis and Dreamcast. They have a lot of Sega-driven stuff there. So those would be some other sites that I would recommend to people. Some of the Halo books, especially the ones early on, Contact Harvest. There's a couple others in the Halo series that are very good and are must-reads. And when it comes to Jason Shire's book, it's Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. I need to go ahead and read that one as well. Uh, in terms of fiction, actually, I think the only one that I've actually ever read that's tied to a video game is XCOM 2, which I reviewed for GameSource when that game came out about a year and a half ago. I remember uh, that. Was- that. 
That was an excellent read because it really set up the transition from XCOM 1 to XCOM 2 just before the events of the game start. So that was actually super informative for me to read that before the game started so I could really kind of know what to expect when it comes to this new world that was being offered in the scenario. I mean, there are some great video game related books out there and I hope people that are into gaming want to go ahead and check them out. I Like I said, there's more that I need to read up on and I know you, you like you said as well, there's more that you got to catch up on. YouTube seems to be offering something free with ads coming up and that's a bunch of movies. Is this worth it? Is this bad? How can this be good? How do you feel about this? Well, here we go again, because you know me, I'm not exactly the most caring when it comes to something like that, because I actually kind of like it free. If I'll, I'll deal with the ads. I, I'd like the free price. So if it's, if it's something, uh, if it's a movie I want to see, I'll watch it on an FX, a TNT, uh, you know, a broadcast cable station, broadcast uh, station itself. I don't mind going through the commercials. I know you being a devoted streaming individual that wants to go ahead and avoid commercials, if at all possible. Actually, you're more in tune well, as far as that. It's just since I've gotten that's how, and that's been our previous sure. discussion. My, my problem is when the commercials appear in a non-strategized way. Yeah, like they can't just happen every two and a half minutes. They should happen at the end of a scene where there's a break in the action, then play the commercials and then come back. I have a problem when they just cut to it and they like really throw off, you know, your viewing habit. Well, the broadcast stations actually do a much better job than that. When you see uh, on a streaming format, it does have a tendency to go ahead and just cut pretty much at random. Yeah, I will say some of the films that are being offered are Terminator, Rocky, Hackers, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Jesus Camp, and there, there's a lot more. That's a pretty good list. Just to see the Terminator again might be worthwhile because it goes way back and they could see how or when Terminator was done correctly because, as you know, after Terminator 2, all bets are off when it comes to the Terminator series. And we don't even know what we're going to get when it comes to the rebooted, rebooted, reboot, rebooted Terminator when it comes out with James Cameron's full blessings on it. Nobody knows, and I'm, af- I'm afraid to find out at this point because it's going to bring up the discussions of what is sacred, what isn't sacred, should we remake this, yada, yada, yada. We'll talk about that later on. For another day. Yeah. We'll be right back with more of the Cosmic Crossfire. Get ready for Box Art, a gaming docuseries from Pyre Productions and Rob McCallum Films. If you love video games, chances are there's a box cover or cover image that you love and has stuck with you for decades. In our series, Box Art, we travel across North America to visit with the unknown illustrators and artists responsible for creating the most iconic gaming images of all time. What was once scheduled to be a 90-minute documentary is now a six-episode season packed with unbelievable tales that paint a picture of the gaming industry you've never imagined. Just one of the many pop culture projects from Rob McCallum, Empire Productions. Lowest opening of a Harry Potter release film happened not too long ago, and that's Fantastic Beasts Part 2. And Variety asks, the world, can Fantastic Beasts uh, last a planned five-film run with diminishing returns or depending on that same core audience? What do you think? Well, I did get a chance to see the movie, and so has Josh, and we do not have favorable opinions of it. I have a full extended review available now on our popculturecosmos.com site, and it does not give the most glowing of reviews. I like the first one as someone who is not a Harry Potter fan, who has seen the films, the first 
Fantastic Beast movie was very strong and one of the better films in the series. And then, <laughs> unfortunately, and then unfortunately, Fantastic, <laughs> well, Fantastic Beast: The Crimes of Grindelwald came out, and unfortunately, went all downhill from there. Well, it, for you, it was done with the opening shot of the trailer. The drone shot over the city through the mountain peaks ended it for you there, even <laughs> though you hadn't seen the film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Check it out in an early episode where we break down I the think trailer for Crimes of Grindelwald. You know, you asked me one time for my opinion on what we should talk about for a documentary, what, what your next topic for a documentary. I think it should just be all on drone shots. Drone shots. Drone shots and movie trailers. There you two, go. Uh, two hours of drone shots. There you go. Drone shot, the movie. So, I mean, the, the big question, you know, the Variety was exploring with diminishing returns, you know, is Warner Brothers going to let this go? It was supposed to just be a trilogy. Now it's five films, which is all, which is a weird number to me always. I don't know why it's five. It seems weird. Four is like oh, kind of pushing it. Avatar is in the five film territory now, apparently. With diminishing returns and this being the lowest opening, I think they're still doing fairly well economically and they'll still make their money back. But they're going to need something big to happen in installments three or four I think along the lines of what happened with Fast Five, where it really rejuvenated the franchise and went in a different direction. I also think maybe part of the problem here is that they're letting J.K. Rowling become a screenwriter. And I guess from everything that I've heard about this film, there's just a lot of attention to detail and backstories. And here's the family tree. And here's how this person's connected to this person. She's really connecting the dots with a lot of stuff that you typically don't see in a film that would normally get cut off, save for the book only just so the action can keep up and you can hold a person's attention and, and things can just flow better. Was that your impression? The actual impression I had was the relationships that were built up in the first movie were kind of discarded in the second with, in order to try and build up new characters and, and focus on characters who actually did not get to go ahead and, and be developed or will not probably be developed very much in the future going forward. And, I think that was probably the first thing that I really just didn't enjoy about it. I thought the editing was horrible. There were some noticeable weaknesses in the editing when it comes to certain scenes that were just people were just there and just, just unfortunately, not even through magic, just vanished and just were out of the scene entirely without any explanation. There was also characters out there who you didn't understand their motivations on what side of the alliance that they're going on. and. The way it was written, the way it was just portrayed on screen, just it was not a very good movie. And it just when it comes down to it, the explanations and the, of the characters that were there were not very well done. In fact, Newt himself, who should be the the guy that you're going to center around as far as the hero is concerned, really didn't get much of a favorable impression when it comes to the actual whole entire movie itself. He didn't. He wasn't given much to do. Neither was a Dumbledore, although that was kind of the goal, I think, in the movie, that he wasn't supposed to get much to do. But in the case of Newt, who is tasked with trying to stop Grindelwald, unfortunately, it wasn't given the opportunity to go ahead and elaborate more on his relationships and his efforts in trying to stop him as well. I, it's such a conundrum that these studios commit to doing such big franchises without anything remotely secure at that point like how do how do how are they committing so much money and so much time to a series that while it's connected to a bigger series like harry potter i feel like we're getting a little bit of the batman uh fatigue going on here where we're going to get all these other projects that are spawning off connected to this big thing but aren't really ever about this big thing and it's just going to tease fans along with the breadcrumbs that get closer and closer to it i want to add in this is that it did 
only $60 million, just a little bit below expectations here domestically at the box office in its first weekend. But it did over $190 million worldwide in its first weekend. So that speaks volumes as far as the extended universe of what the people outside the U.S. are willing to accept as far as a quality movie and maybe a not-so-quality movie that they're going ahead and, and being able to go ahead and appreciate things that, that are not liked in other areas. Let's take Venom, for example. Venom is something that looked like was going to be on target for maybe a 450 to $550 million movie as far as generating the box office, which was okay for a 100 to $125 million cost. But my goodness, once it hit China, it has exploded as far as being one of the biggest releases as far as a outside movie is concerned ever in China. And it's done gangbusters over there. And it's basically going to make a huge profit because of it. So, I mean, when it comes down to it, these films, whether they're panned in the United States, it doesn't. it is showing a change in the marketplace that a, a film going forward doesn't have to be reliant on the domestic U.S. marketplace in order to go ahead and gain back this money. So going forward, you can go ahead and plan out these films like the five Fantastic Beast films, like a sequel to Venom and like uh, what we saw with Pacific Rim Uprising that you don't have to necessarily go ahead and be tied down to whatever the domestic U.S. market says is a good movie or is not such a good movie. I agree. I mean, it, it is more of a 50-50 game now. International is just as important as domestic. Even when something gets panned here, like Warcraft, it doesn't mean that it's not going to do well overseas and have a sequel of some sorts in the works. And China is becoming just a much, much bigger market to, to the point where I might add that there was concerns over this past weekend if the Disney-Fox merger would have been allowed to influence the China market. And when Chinese regulators essentially gave it the blessing, stocks of both Fox and Disney rose as a result because it's that much of a player going forward. So North America is, is no longer like the sexy garden bed for releases. It's really about international releases. I'm waiting for Nintendo Quest to hit the Chinese market. I'll tell you what, it's going to—it's—it's you know, already over there, and I—and I tell you, I haven't seen a penny from it. Well, that's a shame because I figured it was going to go ahead and explode out into the Chinese marketplace like no other movie, like you know, surpassing even what Venom is doing. Well, piracy being what it is, you don't make any money off of it, so there it is. Uh, speaking actually of release strategies, I want to talk about this new cry to shrink the home video window. This is the ongoing debate between studios and theaters and what's best and for who. Studios want to shrink the time that a film can be released for home video or digital download via iTunes or just discs that you buy at Best Buy or your favorite retailer from the theaters. The theaters obviously want to have a longer exclusivity period so that people are more inclined to see it, knowing that if they don't, they'll have to wait three to four months. Studios want to shrink that to about two months now. Six to eight weeks is their prefer preferred window. Theaters want to keep it at 12 to 15. What are your thoughts? This is an ongoing battle. For most films, they need to go out on the small screen as soon as possible because you and I both know that with most releases, eight weeks is just about the best you're going to get with what 80%, 90% of the releases that are out there. There are very few movies that actually in the U S marketplace, for instance, actually are able to go ahead and survive that long period of time. So eight weeks to me is actually sounds better in most cases. Eight weeks. I'm trying to think how that would disrupt things. If that's too soon or not. I mean, 
I'm, I'm, I'm at the point well, because like, I got kids that I can't go as much. So a shorter window is better for me. And I'll be honest, since I have had kids in my life, I used to go to the theater every week to see two or three films every week. Now I'm buying and renting much more at home because I can't go out. So shorter window is only going to help me. But at the same time, I feel like I have a ton of stuff to watch. So I don't know that a shorter window is really going to change things except for change the priority of things that I do watch. It might mean that I don't watch a show on Netflix that comes to it right away, that I might watch Studio Fair that's released on, on iTunes, in my, in my case. And I think that's the other argument that needs to be kind of considered here. How does shortening the window affect streaming services going forward? If the window is shorter and the next Marvel movie is ready for release, does it go to iTunes first or does it go to Disney Plus first? And how does that work? Well, you know, if it's going to go anywhere, it's going to go to Disney Plus first. I'll tell you what, they're, they're going to make sure that their movies are going to have you a higher so? priority. I, I know so. I, I, I think it's going to go to iTunes and anywhere that they can get $20 instead of giving it away for free as part of their $10 subscription package. Well, they're, they're going to do that to buy them an extra month before it goes on to Disney Plus. Wow. I think they want to shorten the window so that when all these different sub- subscription services start, it can go on the subscription service at the time that it's coming out now, but if they shorten the window, they can start the pay period earlier by a month so they can make their money up front for the people that can't wait. And then then it'll go on the subscription service as part of the package. But one place it won't be going in 2019 is on Netflix because their their relationship is dissolving pretty much. I think Infinity War will be one of the last films that they're gonna be able to show on the Netflix streaming service because that's coming out on Christmas. Disney Plus is going to be a big priority for them. It's got to be a huge priority for them. And if you if you think that iTunes is going to be, they want to get that twenty dollars or fifteen dollars you know, last minute before you know a month, three weeks, two weeks before it hits Disney Plus, I can understand that. But it's going to happen in the near future where most of these films that are only what five six weeks and they're out of the marketplace entirely, except for the dollar theaters. I think in the most cases, it works out a lot better if it'd be just an eight-week period. I would probably say that you're not going to get much move on this because theaters aren't getting that much in terms of the split anymore. And the less the theaters get, the less reason there is for a theatrical experience to happen. We're already getting that with less studios out there putting out less films. So people are having to choose from uh, a significantly lower number of titles to go out there. With technology being what it is, the the vast superiority of TVs now compared to a decade ago, the surround sound systems that are at home, including Dolby Atmos at home now, there's less and less reason to go out there. If you shrink that window, that gives even less reasons to go out there. So this is really a discussion about how important is the theatrical experience to cinema. And is, is this just about shoveling product to people to make money, or is this about letting the art form be celebrated on the best possible means and making an event and marketing out of something. To me, I think that window is going to become shorter. And I think we're going to see with more and more theatrical releases, I think you're going to see some as far as even conjunction, almost day and date to the theatrical release that some will actually appear on VOD. And we're actually seeing that already with some lower budgeted films or, or films that you know, are going under the radar that they're only appearing on a limited number of theaters, but they're coming out on VOD the same day. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? 
If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. Speaking of trailers that are coming out the same day, we got a brand new trailer for Dumbo recently heading into the family Thanksgiving weekend. And I think some of this is strategy where you put out the trailer for a family film ahead of a, a family holiday. And it's probably going to be attached to Wreck-It Ralph, which opened a couple days ago by the time you listen to our show. Lots of things to talk about in this trailer. It's very Tim Burton. The question I had, is this really just a Disney-fied version of Big Fish? <laughs> it's a... I don't know. It's, it looks like it's a heartwarming story. Tim Burton is actually has his hands all over it on this occasion. I'm just excited to see Tim Burton project once again that maybe will not be as disappointing as some of his more recent outings. And It looks like to me one of the live action features that I actually want to see because there have been some that have been, been in the recent past where I'm just not really that interested in it. Although Mary Poppins is coming back around very soon and and there's more on the way i mean this is another way disney can generate a new source of income is rebooting all these older animated features and bringing them into a live action format and i think this is a smart way of going ahead and reintroducing to young audiences out there the magic of what disney is all about speaking of wreck it ralph ralph breaks the internet and has hit theaters now and I've always been torn on this film. This seemed like a really strange film to push so fast into sequel territory. And the concept for the sequel didn't feel to gel with the original premise of one that celebrates video games. This one seems to put that more into exploring the evolution of technology with visualizing what the internet actually is. Was this the best direction to go for, for this film? And is a third film necessary given that all the reviews that are coming out say it's the same thing about two oddball characters that are outcasts or exploring their relationship to their own worlds and with each other. How many times do we need to see that? Well, currently right now, it's got a 92% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So that's still a very good representation as far as quality on screen. I think that it is something that Disney is proud of, even though it hasn't garnered the largest amount of box office returns as far as the original I'm actually going to go ahead and go and see the film at some point in here in the near future. So I'm excited for it. And actually, if it's done well enough, in my opinion, I could see a third one, at least trying to go ahead and, and close out a trilogy. So I'm all for Wreck-It Ralph. There are worse ideas that have come to fruition when it comes to animated features that have been given one, two, three, four, or even more on the screen. I mean, Ice Age, I, I just that to me was just, okay... Ice Age, we're done. But how many Ice Ages were made after that? It just, those did not appeal to me. The Record Ralph does because of the retro video game internet type feel. So it's getting positive reviews, especially the fact that it's willing to go ahead and mock itself and when it comes to the whole Disney Empire thing. So I actually am excited to go see it. And I'm I, if it's good enough for me, I'd like to go ahead and, and maybe even see a third one come out at some point in the future. 
you know, we have it, and it's been on play a lot here. It was on play a lot to and from Disney. Uh, my son really enjoys the film, and we got to catch a sneak peek of it, a 15-minute look at Roth Breaks the Internet while we were at Hollywood Studios. And there's a lot of great scenes in it, and I'm just, I just don't think it's as cohesive as the first one was from what I've seen. Of course, they're showing us chunks in different selected scenes. The Disney princess scene is hilarious if you haven't seen it. Disney's made it available in its entirety online. It's been shared to our Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page. So you can check that out there if you want to. It, it just doesn't gel for me, and I'm really hoping for a big turnaround on it. it it's something that I'll probably take my son to see in the theater. And uh, it just got the odds stacked up to, to it, if, if you know what I mean. It does, but I, that doesn't mean it's not going to be successful. I mean, it's it's something that over the Thanksgiving holiday period should do pretty good. It is not, like I said before, one of Disney's high-grossing animated films. It will never be thought of in that way. I'm just surprised that it did come out because the first one did okay, but didn't do super great at the box office. So I'm just surprised that we're actually getting a sequel in the first place. Well, that'll do it for another show of The Cosmic Crossfire. It has been a while, but there's a lot of good stuff. I think we covered this episode, Gerald. Before I go ahead and ask for a rundown of what you're doing on your projects, if you have questions for Rob at any point in time, just go ahead and let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanica Media, GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and Rob McCallum Films on Facebook or Rob McZob on Twitter. Rob, before we head on out, I got to get an update on what's going on with all your great stuff at Rob McCallum Films. Well, I mean, Power of Grayskull continues to do incredibly well. We're exploring different options to finally get the disc-based version out there and looking at our uh, different sales agent options and and basically exploring the marketplace that is above and beyond the the streaming window that Netflix has. So be on the lookout for information on that. Missing Mom is doing incredibly well on Amazon Prime still. It's now available on iTunes as well as different cable channels in Canada. So check out Missing Mom. I'm actually hoping to redo the poster design just so we can get a little bit of fresh blood out there so people can see a new different look on it to kind of celebrate its, its release as, as we kind of mark almost a year ago when the award season kind of closed for Missing Mom and it ended the festival circuit. So that's in the works. Video game box art, this is this might be breaking news, Gerald, may have, probably have, should likely have eight episodes now. If you're a backer, depending on the level you back, you could get as many as eight episodes there are two kind of tiers there. Some people will get an extended version, which will include all eight. The other version is probably just the six episodes. We do have interested broadcasters and distributors already kind of signing on board and taking a look and really liking what they see. So we're going through the legal process, going through post-production audio on that, and, and things are really coming together. Again, if you want to check out all of this great stuff when it comes to box art, the always extending, it seems like, docuseries, you got Power of Grayskull, The Definitive History of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. That's now available on Netflix. You got Missing Mom, like you said, that's available on Amazon Prime and iTunes. Nintendo Quest, which you can always get all over the place and so much more. Just go ahead and check out all the info today at Rob Films. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Oh, anytime, anytime, my friend. Rob, it's always great to have you here back on the show, back from Disney World. And always great to have you a part of the pop culture cosmos right here in the middle of the cosmic crossfire.